We all think about what we eat. We plan our meals or count carbs or do any number of other things when it comes to what we put in our bodies. But do you ever think about the flavor of what you consume? Sure you do. What we eat or drink either tastes good or it doesn't. In fact, taste is the number one consideration in what we consume. Yet, there's more to it than just like or dislike. And there's even a whole industry dedicated to it. Flavor is memory. Flavor is feeling. Flavor is science. Flavor is art. Flavor is Fona. Welcome to Fona's Flavor University podcast, where we explore the science, artistry, and industry behind flavor. Today's guests are here to discuss what is essentially how we describe food. Tasting food is a sensory activity. It makes use of all our senses. When taste is only the beginning, how do we engage our whole being with flavor? We welcome Katie Buss, Director of Sensory, and Ashley Rakow, Senior Sensory Scientist at Fona. And we engage today's topic, sensory in the flavor industry. Good afternoon. How are you guys? Hi, Corey. Hi. Don't be scared. I don't bite. <laughs> so we got you guys here. We're going to talk about sensory today, which obviously is in both of your titles. So hence the name of the show, right? Right. So why don't we start where we always start and we'll ask you guys to introduce yourselves. Ashley, please start off for us. Sure. Um, I'm Ashley Rakow, Senior Sensory Scientist. As Corey said, I have been at Fona for just about 13 years. My background is in food nutrition with a specialty in dietetics, and I graduated from Southern Illinois, Carbondale. And to get really into it, I kind of fell into sensory. I knew I didn't want to be a dietitian, so I actually met Katie through her husband. And, you know, we were out hanging out one night, and I asked her what she was doing because I found out that we had very similar backgrounds. And she told me that she was working at Fona and I was like, oh, that sounds really interesting. You know, I love food. And I was like, hey, if you guys are ever hiring, let me know. And 13 years later, here I am. <laughs> so 13 years now, is there a reason that keeps you here at Fona or is this, you know, I mean, 13 years is, is unheard of. I mean, I know it's probably Katie that's keeping you here. Um, what you guys can't see is they're shooting little hand signs back to each other <laughs> and like hearts and whatnot. Uh, but what, what's the reason that keeps you here? Um, well, I mean, I just love working at Fona. I love everybody here. We have, you know, it's like a really great family atmosphere. Everyone makes you feel very comfortable. I love working in sensory. I love the group that I work with. I just think that we work really well together. We have a just a great flow. We know what each other's thinking before most of the time we even say it. So, you know, it's just like a real family here. Awesome. Thank you. Katie, go ahead. Yeah. Hi, Katie Buss, Director of Sensory at Fona. been at Fona for 14 years. My background, like Ashley said, is we're very similar. I went to Illinois State University, graduated with a major in nutrition, dietetics. Uh, sorry, yeah, food, nutrition, and dietetics. And uh, decided I did not want to be a dietitian. I didn't want to work in the hospital after, you know, doing all the the school work was like, well, that's maybe not what I want to do. But I worked as an intern for another food company in their product development and thought that was so cool as a food tech, found Fona, entered as a technician, and then I met Ashley. <laughs> I worked at Fona for about a year. When I was hired, actually, the woman that hired me left six months later. So I was a department of one. So we were two and now I was one. So I, here I am. Um, I don't have a lot of background. I'm a technician and I'm all by myself. And one night my husband introduces me to Ashley as we're out and we get to talking, we hit it off really well. And I was like, guess what? We're hiring. <laughs> and 14 years later, we're still working together. And as Ashley said, we know what each other's thinking just by looking at each other. Fona is absolutely a family atmosphere. We're all friends. 
you know, you start working somewhere and you, you don't know where it's going to take you. And you just we fall in love with Fona. Everyone is, is a family member, is a friend. We hang out on the weekends. We see each other. We hang out at, at lunchtime. So it's just a great place to work. Everyone truly cares about each other. Awesome. It's a, nice to hear. But I got a question for you. If you, you were a department of one after six months, yeah. I mean, talk about being thrown into the deep end. I was thrown to the sharks, quite honestly. It's like trial by fire. <laughs> so did you have full training or were you just- No, no, I didn't have full training. I What I did have was a really great mentor. Um, her name is Diane Gill, and she she taught me a lot in in a really short period of time. Pointed me in the right direction of a lot of different places to go for uh, for classes, how to you know what to learn, what to look for, best practices. A lot of what we still talk about today is a lot of things that I learned from Diane. So I, I learned very quickly in a very short period of time, but followed that up with a lot of coursework and classes elsewhere. So we've introduced you guys. We've gotten where you're from, how you got here, and that you're both telepathic. That's awesome. <laughs> Um, Just with each other. <laughs> <laughs> that's That's got to be on your next resume, should you ever decide to go wherever you want to go. So let's go through the sensory lab office. What do you guys call it? Oh, sensory lab's good. Sensory okay. kitchen. <laughs> sensory, because there is There is the kitchen. kitchen, yeah. So it, for those of our listeners, if you've never seen a sensory kitchen, sensory lab, ours is set up as such. There is a full kitchen within Fona that is used for sensory. From that, or an offshoot of that, is is it seven or eight booths? We have nine booths now. That's right. We expanded, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so nine sensory booths with computer screens in them to perform sensory tests. Mm-hmm. So in your lab, what's your day look like? You come in, what's the first thing we do? We come in and we check our testing calendar to see what tests may have been submitted or scheduled for that day. We're setting up the booth area with all of our trays and cups and napkins and crackers. And then we're checking our refrigerator to see who dropped off what. And if they didn't, we're tracking them down to find our samples. We're cupping everything up anywhere from two to four tests a day sometimes um, and prepping all the tests for the day. And then uh, emails go out to gather all of our people and our participants. And then we wait. We sit and wait for everyone to come down and, and taste and earn their sensory points. And you guys, you, you pick up that information via uh, one of our softwares or a mm-hmm. new software, actually. I know we just switched. We did. And then you take that data and you do what with it? You report directly back to the customer or where are these samples coming from? So all the samples that we evaluate are coming from R&D. So either our beverage team or the food and health team. Sometimes they can come from the customer. So it just depends on what the objective is and what it is we're actually testing. Um, but then afterwards, we take all those results and go back to the specific project leader, whoever is heading up that project, we download with them to show share all of our results. And then a final report is written and then shared with the customer. So one thing I did want to add, we also do testing for PS&Q, so our quality team. So that could be for, you know, raw materials, so outsourcing, uh, shelf life studies, if we're trying to do like a shelf life extension and be able to turn it around really quickly for a customer, we'll do that. Um, instead of having to do a full shelf life study where it could take anywhere from uh, 54 days if it's going to be a year or up to 108 days if it's going to be a two-year shelf life. So it just really helps to speed up the process. Yeah, so every test will have its own objective, whether it's matching, we're trying to match something, understanding the consumer, what is the consumer like, does the consumer prefer it, do they not, what do they like about it, what don't they like about it. Um, So we might actually be bringing consumers into Fona to taste or what are the attributes of this profile? How intense or how not intense are they? How What's the difference in the profiles? So that would be descriptive analysis. 
every test has its own objective. Every project looks very different. There is no cookie cutter way to apply uh, sensory. It's usually what is the objective for that time and how best can sensory support. Now, I know you guys do a lot of, uh, obviously, taste tests. For those of you, again, who have not participated in, in a sensory test, you get these little cups with little numbers on them, and you're asked to do a series of, of things. And what, what are those things that we're usually doing in, in those tests? Again, it depends. So typically when, and when you're coming to panel, so Corey, you come to panel every once in a while, right? Typically when you're participating, it's either on a shelf life or a matching test. And the objective of a Tetrad test is to put the four samples into two similar groups of two. So it's just, it's one of the tests that we use for matching. So um, some people use triangle tests or duo trio. For the purposes of Fona, the size of panel that we have, we use the Tetrad mainly. But other tests that you could be performing are like what we were just talking about. So acceptance testing or uh, maybe it's shelf life. Now, with this, this one sensory is what, one sense is what I'm engaging. Mm -hmm. I'm engaging, you know, my taste. Do you guys test the other senses too? Like the smell, the mouthfeel, the, you know, I don't really know how you would test the sound of a flavor, but that'd be cool to find out if that's okay, if that's the case. So really when we're tasting, we're really using all those senses. So when, even though you're doing a Tetrad and you think that you're just engaging taste, you really are engaging your smell, you're engaging the mouthfeel, you know, maybe if we're working on a potato chip, Maybe you're engaging the texture, so you're evaluating the crunch. So even though you were supposed to just match the samples, you could say, oh, well, this potato chip has more of a crunch than this potato chip. You know, maybe one became a little bit more stale, or maybe there was a little bit more oil on one of them. So the crunch of that specific potato chip may have a different feel in the mouth. So we got feel, we got probably hearing in that case, mm -hmm. you know, what did you hear while mm -hmm. you were chewing? I mean, unless you're like me, who has like a click in his jaw when he chews, I mean, that's, that's awkward for me. So I have to tune that out when I'm doing, you know, sensory, but what are your recommendations as, as a taster? If I'm going to come in and I'm going to do this taste, what, what can I do as a taster to help you get the feedback you need? So coming into tasting, there's some best practices that we ask you to follow and it's to be present and focus on what it is you're evaluating, be silent. So no talking to your neighbors come in without an aroma on yourself, which is an interesting one to talk about because we don't always know how we smell, right? So sometimes we walk out and we spritz some stuff on us or have deodorant or a certain laundry detergent and we can smell it, but then we go nose blind, right? So maybe check in with your neighbor if you know that you use a certain cologne and say, am I really aromatic today? Because those are things that can interfere with an evaluation. If you're wearing a vanilla scented hand lotion and then you're going into tasting a vanilla solution, you've now biased yourself. So it's following a few best practices to know you're coming into taste, you're giving the samples they're due, and you're giving us really good feedback. So out of all the five senses and all the tastes and whatnot, what's, what's the hardest sense or hardest thing to get data on? Probably bitterness. So bitterness is a little tricky. Some people are really bitter sensitive and others are not. I am not a bitter sensitive person, Ashley. I'm very bitter sensitive. She's very bitter sensitive. So anytime there's a bitterness tasting or people are wanting to know if something's too bitter, I have to opt out and say, you can go talk to Ashley because she's really great. She's really sensitive. Um, there's some tests that you can do for that. Um, some people have heard of them. You know, are you a super taster? And you can taste really simple tests to taste PTC paper. And if it's absolutely disgusting, then you potentially are a super taster, right? Or you can dye your taste buds blue and count the number of taste buds within a certain diameter. But it's it's based on genetics. You either are or you aren't. 
Sometimes we can be taught to understand cues on what bitterness is, like I've had to learn over the years. So, but that's probably a really difficult one because there's there's only so many people in our building. And whenever we're trying to build a bitterness panel or a bitter sensitive panel, you either are or you aren't, right? And so it takes a little bit of time. So that one's probably the most difficult. And then Ash, if you want to touch on the feedback part. <laughs> yeah, I would say um, the other you know, potential difficulty that we have is when we're doing Tetra tests and, you know, we're really on the brink of failing a test or maybe it has failed and being able to get actionable feedback. So really getting comments back from the people who were able to correctly identify the samples and be able to pull the comments out of that and be able to tell our developers, okay, these are the changes that you need to make. Just because we all perceive things differently, it's not technically a train panel, it's a screen panel. So some people just can't describe the differences. Um, you know, people in the R&D lab, they are a little bit better at describing the differences just because they're tasting all day, every day. Once we start reaching out to the office people, we love you guys, but you just don't have the same vocabulary as the people that are working in the lab. And that just comes with time too. Um, we do something for Fona called descriptor training where we train teams internally, but we also help to train our customers on how to speak about different flavor categories or different product categories. And what that does, it helps a, a team of people or a group of people to speak a common language and then give that actionable feedback. So if we have a really hard time describing vanilla or chocolate or peppermint, Ashley and I can come in with a bunch of references and different products and break them down into different attributes and different words that we can use to describe, thereby giving or being able to give actual or actionable feedback. So a few things about what you're talking about here, about things I... I kind of blowing my mind here. First of all, we can fail a test. We can fail a sensory test. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean to fail a test? Does that mean you don't get the right information? You don't get enough? So to fail a test, so when we're talking about matching, we do a lot of matching tests. So when something fails, it means that there's a majority of people, a certain number of people that are able to identify or correctly identify the differences. Thereby, those samples are different. They're, they're identifiably different. They're not perceivably similar. So any feedback that we get from those tests we try to compile and look for trends. And from those trends, we give them back to flavorists and developers to then make modifications to then resubmit and hopefully pass. So when we're looking for actionable feedback, we're, we don't want to hear yum or yuck or this was great or this one was sweeter. Like sometimes sweeter is good, but what about it was sweeter? Can you give me a little bit more information? So the more detailed our panelists can be, the better. And that just really comes with practice and comes with time. And like you said, that descriptor training, I'm sure, is really helpful. I mean, I was working on a, a labeling project recently, and one of the descriptors I read on there was a brown flavor. Mm -hmm. Like, again, how does something taste brown? Yeah, sometimes people speak in colors. We've heard it tastes purple or it tastes red. If you have a hard time describing a category, like maybe it's fruit and it's berries and you've got red berries and you've got darker and blue and purple berries, right? Well, if we don't know if it's a strawberry, we're like, well, it's a red berry, right? Or it's a dark berry. Or if we're describing like, gra like green grassy notes, like we'll use green, grass is green, right? There's a whole descriptor training we can do on green. It's it kind of, it's mind blowing. Yeah. But people, we eat visually, right? So we eat with our eyes. So I think a lot of that comes from that. When we have a difficult time trying to find the accurate word, it goes to a color. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely eat with my eyes, most times my hands and sometimes my feelings. Um, <laughs> but the other thing I, I picked up on, because I'm always, you know, superheroes, I'm, I'm sort of wearing a hero t-shirt today, super tasters. 
do I need to get bitten by a radioactive taster in order to get this power? But you said it was it was biological. It's yeah, so genetic. So it's based on the the number of taste buds that you have, you know, within a certain diameter on your tongue. It's essentially what a super taster is: is you are experiencing tastes a little bit more intensely than somebody who might not be a super taster. So we look for bitter sensitivity mainly because those people are going to be more sensitive to those bitter components, such as like. If you, if you really like black coffee or you like green leafy vegetables or dark chocolate, if you like those things, you might not be a super taster. Like, I love all of those things. Ashley I hate all those things. Hates all of those things. Except for coffee, but it has to be heavily sweetened with sugar and cream and, I don't know, maybe a flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, yeah. I like all the bitter things. No, I like my coffee. I like my personality light and sweet. <laughs> so what happens, you know, you mentioned a yummer yuck. What happens if somebody gives you just, you know, I didn't like it? What about it didn't you like? Tell me more. If you get this on, say, a paper panel or something, are you Mm -hmm. still able to track those people down and get more information? Sometimes we can. A lot of times we will just toss the information because it's not helpful. But if you're there in the moment and we maybe see your feedback, I might just nudge you and say, tell me more. Yeah, I'd also add that when um, all of our panelists go through uh, what we call discrimination screening, so learning or being screened on taste acuity, um, they kind of learn how to do the touch run method. So you kind of explain to them, like when you're giving back you know, us feedback, make sure that it's actionable. Don't tell me that it's yum or yuck. So before they come to their, I guess, first real panel, they know not to give that type of feedback. Or they've been forewarned to not give that kind of feedback. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as a, as a taster myself, when I do give the feedback, I try to give you more than just, you know, I liked this. It was sweet. Well, you know, it's sweet. Like, obviously, we need a little bit more descriptors. And you guys have an encyclopedia for that, I think. Some kind of book <laughs> like that. You know, speaking of like encyclopedic knowledge, like you guys, you've been at this 13, 14 years. So clearly, you know a lot about tasting. Are you guys like, are you not allowed to take part in these tests? Like you give them out all, all the time. Are, do people ask for your feedback? So they ask for our feedback a lot. There are certain tests that we will excuse ourselves from because we had a hand in setting it up and we have prior knowledge. And so therefore we're biased, right? So we can't really give a lot of great feedback, but sometimes we do give really good feedback. Yeah. I think it's just more along the lines of whether we were playing a hand in setting it up or if we played a hand in working with R&D to make changes multiple times, Mm -hmm. being involved multiple tastings. Then we kind of shy away from participating in the panels just because we kind of know what we're looking for at that point. But in general, as long as we aren't involved in the setup, then we will participate. Yeah, and R&D brings us in a lot to taste or provide our feedback because we're an unbiased third party, essentially, right? We don't have a hand in the development or a stake in what's really going on other than, yes, we love to win, but we want to give our unbiased feedback for them so that they know that they're getting really good feedback. Okay, so you guys have put candy in front of me. I'm not going to say what kind of candy that I have here, but I'm going to unwrap it. And basically, we're going to take a taste, and I'm going to give it a description from, I'm going to call it a layperson's standpoint, and then I'm going to have you guys give your description. (laughs) So I have a little bar of chocolate here. It's about four little pieces. It's got a nice smooth texture with some chunks on the back. I'm going to take a leap and say that those are peanuts. At least I hope they are. I'm not allergic, so don't worry about that. Uh, so let's let's give this a taste. I'm not going to tune to the microphone unless you guys are big ASMR people. So I'm just going to step back a little here. I heard when you taste things, you're supposed to incorporate air mm-hmm. into, as you're chewing. So I've seen people go like as they're chewing. 
So is that is that a thing or am I it just... Is, it is a thing. <laughs> so you're, what you're doing is you're helping those volatiles in the flavor to reach your nasal passage, which your nose is really where taste is experienced. Your palate is experiencing basic taste, so sweet, salty, sour, bitter, umami, maybe fat, but your nose is really what is helping you to determine what those flavors are. So I can see where you guys have this whole, like, let's eliminate bias kind of things. Cause I know exactly what this candy bar is. I see the wrapper, mm-hmm. you know, I can read the name on, on the front, mm-hmm. but what I'm getting is now I think prior experience has a lot to do with this too, because I've had many different types of chocolate and this is a very like incredibly sweet chocolate when compared to something like a Godiva or something like that. So the first thing I'm getting obviously is this, this powerful sweet taste on my tongue followed up by a peanut. So in my limited speech of this sweetness is obviously first like incredibly like almost like a like a sweet and low or a saccharine kind of sweetness that's going to it and it's it's finishing out with a light savory note very light to the point where it almost makes me want to eat more to make sure like in my brain i want to make sure what i'm eating so my brain's probably like yeah get another bite or it's just because i like chocolate not sure uh but then the peanut flavor hits and that peanut flavor is just you know earthy almost dirt kind of and that's probably going a little too far but still i'm getting that note on it but if you guys want to go ahead and toss your descriptors on there but those are the simple ones that i get would you like a job on my descriptive panel (laughs) that was really good Corey. (laughs) that was really great ash go ahead um yeah i agree Corey did a really good job but um i would add in some like milky dairy notes almost like uh condensed sweetener when you check like the peanut flavor, I'm going to say it has a nice roasted peanut taste to it versus more of like a raw peanut. And I can definitely tell that it's milk chocolate. It doesn't have any of the dark cocoa notes that you would find in the darker chocolates. Yeah, it's definitely milk chocolate. I'm more of a dark chocolate kind of fan, but the milk chocolate's going to be much sweeter, more caramelized, caramelic, those sweet brown type notes. We're talking in color again. And then the peanut, I get more like skins and shells. So like the shell of a, a roast peanut, the skins that are coming off of it. It's like I licked the floor of a Texas roadhouse. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. yeah. Yeah, with those earthy notes. Yeah. With a little bit of chocolate. Yeah, earthy notes definitely <laughs> from the dirt. For people. It's my favorite kind of chocolate. Oh, man. So in that feedback that we've given back, say you got my feedback, something like that. How do you qualitate that? How do you give that a figure or a number? So the feedback you gave would be more, it it is more qualitative. So in order to give it a number, give it an intensity value, we're going to provide you with references on what those intensity values are. So I can give you intensities from zero to 15, and then you're going to break down each of the attributes that you told me. So from the milk chocolate to the dirty, earthy, you know, on a scale of zero, we'll just like keep it really simple. So like zero to five, how intense was that dirty, earthy note, right? How intense was that milk chocolate note? So maybe the milk chocolate is a four and the dirty earthy is like a one, right? So you can quantify each attribute thereby giving all that feedback back to the flavors and say, well, these notes are coming out really strongly. These not so much. If we want to completely minimize, let's try to bump that flavor up. You definitely nailed my qualitative on that too. I I was totally a one at the the peanut level there, even though there's a lot in here. I mean, in this four little pieces of chocolate, there's a lot of peanuts in there. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of peanut. Okay, so we've talked about the senses. We've talked about being a super taster and a little bit of the science here. So let's, let's talk about requests that you get for these, for these tastings. Are there any odd requests you get when it comes to sensory? Like did a specific, you know, customer ask you to get people's reactions 
in a certain way or did they ask you to taste something in a certain way like turn the lights off or make sure that there's you know a sticker on the wall in front of you while you're tasting this something like that I don't think we've had anything too crazy like that just because mm-hmm. we're we focus so much more on flavor so mm-hmm. I don't think we'd get anything weird but we have had to turn off all the lights in our booths because we were working mm-hmm. on a project mm-hmm. where the one sample had more of a cloudy aspect to it. And no matter what color cup we use, we couldn't hide the cloudiness, but really the cloudiness wasn't what we were worried about. We wanted to make sure that the flavor was a match. So we tried everything under the sun from using our red lights to using our sodium lights, using different colored cups and nothing was really working. So we ended up just turning off all the lights in the sensory booth and told everybody like, just be careful when you come in. It is dark. We were really doing our best to hide this cloudy aspect in two of the samples. I'd say that was probably one of the weirdest things we've had to do. Yeah, we've covered stuff in foil before and put it in pipettes and had people squeeze stuff into their mouths so they couldn't see it, but they could at least still consume it. Um, but like Ashley said, like we've got different colored lighting. We have different colored cups. There's different rooms that we take people to, to to evaluate, to eliminate sound and other distractions. So we try to be as control freaks as we can. <laughs> yeah, and with COVID, I think that's been one of our biggest hurdles of the last year is mm-hmm. trying to still get panels done in a timely fashion, but also being able to give really good data still back to either our customers or to the R&D department. So we've really put a lot of effort into making sure that we are still giving good data and keeping things safe and keeping everyone healthy back in the sensory area. Mm-hmm. And speaking of COVID, I know for your tests, we have to show up in person to taste these things. Mm. How did you overcome that? Like, what did you do to get people to still taste the flavors and give you feedback if they can't come to you? Yeah, so our booth area is very small. And so throughout the building, spatial restrictions are put on different rooms, right? So we have nine booths, but we could only have three people in there at a time, which was really difficult to get a panel completed. So we were able to create QR codes through our sensory testing system. And so people could come back. um, They would bring their phone with them. They would scan the QR code. We would have samples already prepared for them to take back to their desk. Or they could evaluate out in our cafe area, which is adjacent to our kitchen, um, and evaluate that way. So the, the spatial requirements are still being adhered to, but we're also still getting tests accomplished. Now, with these tests, you're always asking us to do match a flavor, pick the odd man out something of that nature. And I feel like when I take these tests that I'm constantly getting it wrong. I mean, I know even wrong data in this situation is probably still helpful, but what are what are hints or maybe some tricks of the trade that you guys have that can help me when you when you say, you know, pick the one that tastes most like the other one, and then I, I, I never get it right. I feel like I never get it right. It drives me crazy. What can I do to, to you know, to get it right? Well, Depending on the objective, you not getting it right is actually a good thing. It means the flavorists and the developers are doing what they're supposed to do. So if you get it wrong, it just means that the samples tasted similar, which is a good thing. But some people go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and they they just overdo it and they overwhelm their taste buds and overwhelm their brain, right? They're overthinking it. So something we always say is just go with your gut, your gut instinct. You're welcome, developers. (laughs) So if I'm going with my gut, and I know you guys have like, things to help me cleanse my palate. Like if I go to a Yankee Candle, they have little jars of coffee for you to sniff to cleanse your palate. What do you guys use? It's just what? So typically we're using unsalted crackers. So that's really what we're using. Sometimes we use milk chocolate or plain yogurt, carrots, regular seltzer water. So depending on the application is really what we're, how we're going to determine the palate cleanser, but usually unsalted cracker. 
and these things are designed to to actually like scrub your palate. So like if you if I go to a fancy restaurant, they give you sometimes sorbet in mm-hmm. between you know courses or whatever. So the cracker is your sorbet. Essentially, yeah. So it's it's cleansing your palate. It's giving your palate something else, and you're confusing your palate, right? So you're breaking up the monotony of whatever you're tasting. My palate is very confused <laughs> constantly, or maybe that's just me. So you guys have helped me figure out, you know, how to be a better taster, how to give you better answers, even if they're bad answers. Can you give me maybe two or three takeaways for our listeners, for our customers, you know, things they should know about sensory when in regards to flavor or anything that's helpful? I think whenever sensory needs to be brought into a project, the earlier that we're brought in, the better, you know, I think one of the things that we hear all the time is this project needs to be done fast. And if sensory is not brought in at the very beginning and we don't know what's expected of sensory, it's hard to turn things around fast. I will toot our own horn and say that we are fast, but (laughs) if we know about things sooner, quicker, we can even be faster. Yeah, having sensory as part of the project brief is always really helpful. Um, Understanding from the customer's point of view what kind of validation they're requiring. Um, What does that look to them? And are they doing any internal validations and we can mirror what they're doing? just to make make the process a little bit more seamless. But keeping those lines of communication open, keeping sensory involved from the beginning, we may not be needed at the very beginning, but at least we can provide recommendations on if they're getting to a certain point based on objectives, this is what they're going to require when they will need sensory testing. I would also like to add, I think it's always nice when we do have the opportunity, if our customer has a sensory group, it's always nice to be able to work with them or speak with them directly so that we're working and we're doing the same methods and we're just have that open line of communication. And plus it's always nice to, you know, meet your counterpart. Awesome. So I always end our podcasts with some quick fire, hopefully easy to answer questions. People have told me that this is both either, you know, right off the cuff, easy or like hard, like harder than all the other things. So I'm going to ask you maybe two or three questions, just answer from your gut. And tell me whatever you're thinking. So, uh, you know what, Katie, why don't we start with you? Okay. (laughs) Uh, See, that's why you don't make eye contact with the teacher. (laughs) So the first question I'm going to ask is, which sense do you use the most when doing a sensory test? You personally. My nose. Why Mm -hmm. your nose? Why not? I mean, for me, my instant reaction would have been taste, like my tongue. Yeah. Well, without your nose, you can't experience that flavor. Touche. All right. So what is your favorite sense? Oh, my favorite sense. Oh, it has to be. It has to be. Oh, I don't even know. I don't know. I don't know if I have a favorite. No. So let's flip that on the head and say, <laughs> if you had to get rid of one, which one would you get rid of? I don't know. Touch. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I want to see. I want to hear. I want to taste. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> she doesn't want to touch. I don't want to touch. <laughs> I understand. I mean, in this COVID era, like not touching is I don't okay. Know. Yeah, no, I, I think I think I'm okay with that in the COVID era. Maybe that's why I've gotten used to that. I can be six feet away and not touch and just taste. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a T-shirt out there that says I'm vaccinated, but you can still keep six feet away. From me. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Uh, all right. Well, thank you, Katie. So, Ashley, let's go over to you. Let's start with the first one and just say what is your what is the strongest sense you use when doing a test? I would agree and say aroma. I think we've been trained that the first thing you do when you get a sample is you smell it. You think about what it smells like, and then you taste it. And I can attest to that. They both sniffed their candy bar before they ate it today, (laughs) um, which I was remiss in doing. And after you did, it was like, I should have done that. Um, All right. So if you had to lose one of your senses, which one would you get rid of? 
See, this is where we're the same. I think I'm going to go touch. I need it. I knew it. You know, when you want to eat an M&M and you don't get, the, I can't hear the crunch. That would be just devastating. I like to see things because I want to know what's going in my mouth. Fair enough. All right. That could be weird. <laughs> there are five-year-olds in this room going crazy right now. So Twelve-year-old and me just went, no. <laughs> so last question. I'm going to have Ashley finish this out and then I'll go over to you, Katie. What's your favorite flavor? I think mango. I'm really into the mango flavors lately. I, our flavors have done a really great job, and I think that they're kind of trending. And so I think I'm going to go mango. Okay. Katie, I same question. Give, I got to give a combo one, and it's honey lavender. I love anything lavender. And there's a flavor somewhere rolling her eyes, and she knows who she is. <laughs> so I will, I will tell you right now that we've asked this question to almost all of our guests, I think. And nobody came back with a response that was like, honey lavender. Um <laughs> They came back with like, oh, you know, I have a favorite cappuccino. Or I was like, I love shepherd's pie. I'm pretty sure somebody said pizza. So it just, it really goes to show that your profession has influenced your tastes and your likes and whatnot. I mean, obviously I'm not in that profession because otherwise I'd be like, oh, motherboards are delicious. You know, that's what you say. <laughs> okay. Well, that's it for the Flavor University podcast. I'm Corey Doucette. And I'd like to thank our special guests, Katie Buss and Ashley Raykow. Uh, thanks again for listening. And until next time, the flavor of Fona is the flavor of life. So go out and taste it.